From New York, this is Democracy Now! These trucks are not just trucks. They are a lifeline. They are the difference between life and death for so many people in Gaza. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres has traveled to the Egyptian side of the Rafah border crossing to urge Israel to allow trucks carrying humanitarian aid into Gaza, where the death toll from Israel's two-week bombardment has topped 4,100. As President Biden seeks $74 billion for Israel and Ukraine, we'll speak to Palestinian analyst Tarek Fakoni, author of Hamas Contained, The Rise and Pacification of Palestinian Resistance. Then we continue our conversation with the legendary Israeli journalist Amira Haas, who's reported from the occupied West Bank and Gaza for over 30 years. The Israeli right wing and the messianic religious settler right wing has been always uh, pushing for wars and regional wars because in order to achieve the, the grand plan of, of uh, uh, repeating and completing 1948, the Nakba. All that and more coming up. Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. Palestinian health officials in the Gaza Strip say the death toll from two weeks of unrelenting Israeli attacks has topped 4,100, with over 13,000 wounded. More than 1,000 Gaza residents remain missing, many of them under the rubble of collapsed homes. In one overnight incident, the St. Porphyrius Greek Orthodox Church in Gaza City, which was sheltering hundreds of displaced Palestinians, was struck by an apparent Israeli airstrike. Gaza officials say 18 Christian Palestinians were killed. Part of the 12th century structure, one of the oldest churches in the world, was reduced to rubble. This is a survivor. They came here to escape the airstrikes and the destruction. They thought they were safe here. The destruction followed them. The destruction followed them, Biden. Biden, you are giving all your support to Israel to kill the civilians. Gaza's hospitals are on the brink of collapse with shortages of fuel, electricity and critical medical supplies. Doctors at Nasser Hospital and Khan Yunus have resorted to using vinegar to treat infected wounds. According to Gaza's Ministry of Housing, at least 30 percent of the territory's housing units have been destroyed, rendered uninhabitable or damaged. This is Asma Sabah, whose family has been forced to move to a makeshift tent city in Khan Yunus. We now live like our ancestors in 1948. We are displaced from our homes. Just like their reality, we live in tents. We left our homes to stay in tents, just like our ancestors. We never expected to be here. Oh world, have mercy on us. We want the truth. We are tired. What does Israel want from us? We are displaced from our homes. What more do they want? Earlier today, U.N. Secretary-General Antonio Guterres arrived at the Egyptian side of the Rafah border crossing to Gaza, where a humanitarian aid convoy remained stuck Friday, despite a deal to allow the passage of the first 20 trucks. Guterres urged Israeli and Egyptian officials to open the crossing as soon as possible to allow food, water, medicine and fuel to be delivered at scale, calling it the difference between life or death for so many people. In the occupied West Bank, the Palestinian health ministry says 13 people were killed Thursday as Israeli forces bombed and raided the Nur Shams refugee camp. Seven of those kills were children, two of them just 10 years old. Meanwhile, human rights groups report heavily armed Israelis from illegal settlements, sometimes backed by Israeli soldiers, have increasingly forced Palestinian Bedouin villagers from their West Bank homes, seizing the properties. 
On Thursday, Israel's defense ministry, Yoav Galan, told soldiers massed near the Gaza border they would soon see the territory from the inside, suggesting a ground invasion is imminent. There can be no forgiveness, only total annihilation of the Hamas organization, its terror infrastructures, everything that has to do with terrorists and whoever sent them. It will take a week. It will take a month. It will take two months until we eliminate them. You are not alone in battle. President Biden set to deliver a request to Congress for an additional $100 billion in funding to aid U.S. allies and to further militarize the U.S.-Mexico border. Reuters reports the request includes $60 billion for Ukraine, $14 billion for Israel, another $14 billion for so-called border security. Biden made the case for the extraordinary foreign aid package during a primetime address from the Oval Office Thursday. We're facing an inflection point in history. One of those moments where the decisions we make today are going to determine the future for decades to come. Biden's remarks came after more than 400 congressional staffers signed a joint letter urging Congress to back a ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. The staffers write, quote, we've appreciated seeing nearly every member of Congress express quick and unequivocal solidarity with the Israeli people. But we are profoundly disturbed that such shows of humanity have barely been extended to the Palestinian people, unquote. Chinese President Xi Jinping has called for a ceasefire in Gaza to allow humanitarian aid into the besieged Palestinian territory. His first public remarks on the conflict came as he met Egypt's prime minister in Beijing Thursday. The Pentagon says it's thwarted a series of drone attacks aimed at bases housing U.S. forces in Iraq and Syria. A Pentagon spokesperson said Thursday the U.S. will respond to the attacks at a time and manner of its choosing after several troops were injured. The Pentagon also said a U.S. Navy war ship in the Red Sea intercepted missiles fired by Houthi rebels in Yemen toward Israel. On Thursday, the governments of the United States, United Kingdom and Germany advised their citizens to leave Lebanon immediately as fears grow that Israel's assault on Gaza will lead to a wider war across the Middle East. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak traveled to Saudi Arabia Thursday for talks with Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and other top Saudi officials. Sunak's office said the leaders agreed to work to prevent any further escalation of the war in Gaza. Sunak's visit to Riyadh came a day after he met with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu in Jerusalem, where Sunak pledged U.K. support for Israel's military campaign in Gaza. Sunak is traveling to Egypt today for talks with President Abdel Fattah el-Sisi. Thousands of protesters rallied in Paris, France, Thursday to demand a ceasefire in the Gaza Strip. The protests came only after officials granted permission following a week-long ban on pro-Palestine protests in France. These two protesters spoke with France 24 television. We're here to show our support for the Palestinian people. It's been 75 years of colonization, and they're fighting for their right to independence and self-determination. We're here to show them that we haven't forgotten them. We see pro-Israeli demonstrations going on without any problems with political leaders at their head. But when you try to defend Palestine, that's forbidden. In Pakistan, hundreds of protesters rallied in the capital Islamabad Thursday for a Palestinian solidarity march. This is Pakistani gender equality and human rights activist Tahir Abdullah. Instead of a two-state solution, we are now going towards a one-state solution, and that one state is only Israel. Where is Palestine? Should the Palestinians jump into the sea? Where should they go? There is nowhere for them. Gaza was a tiny little strip, and Israel has kicked them out of Gaza. And they want them to go into Egypt so that Israel can occupy Gaza also. 
We absolutely protest against this. We demand that the United Nations should do something finally after 75 years of absolutely useless resolutions. Pro-Palestine demonstrations have also continued in Lebanon, Jordan, Egypt, Algeria, Tunisia, and across the Middle East and North Africa. In Haiti, a former justice ministry official and key suspect in the assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moïse two years ago was arrested Thursday. Joseph Félix Badio emerged as a prime suspect after a team of Colombian hitmen arrested just hours after Moïse's killing told Haitian authorities they'd received the order from Badio. Here in the United States, far-right Ohio Congress member Jim Jordan said Thursday he would suspend his bid to become Speaker of the House, only to reverse course after emerging from a tense hours-long meeting with the Republican conference. I'm still running for Speaker, and I plan to go to the floor uh, and get the votes and win this race. But I want to go talk with a, a few of my colleagues. Particularly, I want to talk with the 20 individuals who voted against me um, so that we can move forward and begin to work for the American people. Jordan's U-turn came after Republicans failed to agree to a plan that would have empowered Speaker Pro Tem Patrick McHenry to perform all the functions of House Speaker until January. The House remains at a legislative standstill 16 days after far-right Florida Republican Matt Gates led a successful effort to oust Speaker Kevin McCarthy. Sidney Powell, Donald Trump's former lawyer, one of his 18 co-defendants in Georgia's sweeping racketeering case, has pleaded guilty to attempting to overturn the 2020 election results. And are you pleading guilty today because you agree that there is a sufficient factual basis, that there are enough facts that support this plea of guilty? I did. Powell was sentenced to six years of probation and fined $6,000. She will also pay $2,700 in restitution to the state of Georgia and write an apology letter to Georgia residents. As part of her deal, Sidney Powell has agreed to cooperate with prosecutors and could become a key witness against Trump. In 2020, Powell famously vowed to, quote, release the Kraken, a mythical sea monster, to help overturn Trump's election loss and filed a litany of baseless lawsuits. In California, interim Senator LaFonza Butler said Thursday she will not run for the U.S. Senate next year. Governor Gavin Newsom selected Butler, then president of Emily's List, to fill the seat left open after the passing of Dianne Feinstein last month. The high-profile Senate race includes Congress members Barbara Lee, Adam Schiff and Katie Porter. In Virginia, the hotel hosting Saturday's annual banquet of CARE, that's the Council on American-Islamic Relations, canceled the event after receiving violent threats. CARE said anti-Muslim and anti-Palestinian extremists issued death and bomb threats against the Crystal Gateway Marriott Hotel. The event's being relocated with additional security. CARE said in a statement, quote, we will not allow the threats of anti-Palestinian racists and anti-Muslim bigots who seek to dehumanize the Palestinian people and silence American Muslims to stop us from pursuing justice for all, they said. And in San Diego, a federal judge again ruled a California law banning assault weapons such as AR-15 rifles was unconstitutional. In 2021, the same judge, Roger Benitez, overturned California's 32-year-old ban on assault weapons. California's Democratic Attorney General Rob Bonta vowed to appeal the, quote, dangerous and misguided ruling. Bonta added, quote, weapons of war have no place on California's streets. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, the War and Peace Report. When we come back, we speak with Palestinian analyst Tarek Bakoni. 
His piece for the New York Review of Books, Gaza Without Pretenses. For years, Israel and Hamas maintained an unstable equilibrium that kept the Gaza Strip contained, but it was always likely to be temporary. Back in 20 seconds. I'm exhausted. Last night I couldn't sleep, but when I did, I could hear bombs in my dreams. Nightmare situation. How could they be so evil? Making mortars out of children and innocent people. We expect the bombs, not knowing where next. Huddle in the corner of my room, trying to protect my little brother. As the building shakes like it's possessed, but nothing stronger than the will of the oppressed. I bomb back with my lyrics and rhymes. Living the times, trying to break the Palestinian minds. What's hiding in the clouds hanging over my head? My dad risks his life outside to buy bread the fourth war in my 12th year at this stage i'm numb though i have a feel scared There's shouting at the wall by mc abdul a 15 year old palestinian rapper this is democracy now democracynow.org the war and peace report i'm amy goodman the death toll in gaza from israel's 14-day bombardment has topped 4100 as israel continues to block food water and fuel from entering the besieged territory over 13,000 Palestinians have been injured over the past two weeks. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Guterres traveled today to the Egyptian side of the Rafah border crossing to Gaza to demand humanitarian aid convoys be allowed entry. These trucks are not just trucks. They are a lifeline. They are the difference between life and death for so many people in Gaza. Guterres said the U.N. is actively engaging with Israel and Egypt to get the aid trucks into Gaza. The BBC is reporting Hamas has offered to release some of the hostages it seized during its attack on October 7th in exchange for a ceasefire. But Israel has rejected the deal. Earlier today, the Israeli military said it believes the majority of the 200 hostages seized are still alive. Israel's defense minister hinted Thursday a ground invasion of Gaza is imminent, telling troops they will soon see Gaza, quote, from inside. Israel's ramping up its crackdown on the occupied West Bank. Israeli forces killed 13 Palestinians in a raid on the Nur Shams refugee camp near the city of Tolkarm. In recent days, Israel's also detained 750 Palestinians, including lawmakers and journalists. On Thursday night, President Biden gave a primetime speech from the Oval Office calling for Congress to approve $14 billion for Israel, another $60 billion for Ukraine, and some for Taiwan. This comes as HuffPost is reporting there's a, quote, mutiny brewing inside the State Department over Biden's policy on Israel. Joining us now in New York is Tarek Bakoni, Palestinian analyst and writer, president of the board of Al-Shabaka, the Palestinian Policy Network, and former senior analyst for the International Crisis Group on Israel-Palestine. His recent piece for The New York Review is headlined, Gaza Without Pretenses. For years, Israel and Hamas maintained an unstable equilibrium that kept the Gaza Strip contained, but it was always likely to be temporary. Tarek is author of the book Hamas Contained, The Rise and Pacification of Palestinian Resistance. Tarek, welcome back to Democracy Now! Before we go to the history of Hamas, I wanted to ask you about the current situation, the latest that we hear. The um, looks like a ground invasion is imminent. The RAF border is still closed, although there had been a deal to allow in 20 trucks of aid coming from Egypt into uh, Gaza, though those inside medical groups are saying 
even 100 trucks a day wouldn't quite deal with the crisis and the need inside. Well, Amy, yes, the situation in the Gaza Strip is quite dire. What we see today is really a continuation a continuation of efforts by Israel to place the Gaza Strip under a complete uh, blockade. And this has been ongoing for about 16 years now. And then after the offensive by Hamas on the 7th of October, Israel placed the Gaza Strip under what it called a total siege. What this means is that it's prevented the entry of water, fuel, electricity, and medicine into the Gaza Strip. Now, this is a form of collective punishment. We have to understand the Gaza Strip has about 2.3 million Palestinians. About two-thirds of them are refugees from homes in what is now Israel, and about half of that are minors and children. This is a form of uh, collective punishment and uh, is, is essentially... Uh, reliant on a total dehumanization of Palestinians in Gaza. What we're seeing happening at the moment is that humanitarian aid is being politicized, that humanitarian aid to the civilian population in Gaza is linked to political goals. Uh, and any form of uh, effort to try to de-escalate is being blocked by the U.S. The fact that the U.S. vetoed the U.N. Security Council resolution yesterday is an indication of its willingness to allow Israel to continue both its bombardment of the Gaza Strip as well as the strangulation of Gaza civilian population through the blocking of uh, entry of humanitarian aid. And explain what that resolution was that the U.S. rejected. Well, the, it was a, a resolution that was tabled by Brazil, uh, and it called for an immediate de-escalation and a ceasefire. It was a humanitarian ceasefire, which meant that the bombardment from the Israeli authorities would have to cease and allow for humanitarian aid to come into the Gaza Strip and for the restrictions to be eased. Uh, however, we see that this continues to, uh, first of all, the U.S. blocked the resolution. And then when there were uh, agreements to have, as you said, 20 truckloads to enter the Gaza Strip, which is far less than the minimum that would be required to sustain Gaza civilian population, uh, there are still obstacles to the entry of those trucks. We also have to understand that Gaza, the Gaza's uh, population has been forced uh, uh, by Israeli authorities to evacuate the majority of the northern parts of the Strip. This has resulted in a forced displacement of about uh, uh, one, or the, the orders was for the forced displacement of 1.1 million uh, Palestinians. Now, the Gaza Strip is one of the most densely populated strips of land in, in the world. Any form of evacuation uh, is really impossible. There's nowhere for Palestinians to leave. Uh, what that means is that any kind of bombardment uh, that the Israeli uh, authorities are carrying out in the Gaza Strip are killing Palestinians in their thousands. And Unlike in, in previous military assaults, here Israel is actually quite explicit about wanting to target civilian infrastructure, ambulances, healthcare centers, clinics, um, and, and the bombing is indiscriminate, as Palestinians in Gaza are reporting by intent. This is Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu speaking Tuesday about Hamas. This is a part of an axis of evil uh, of Iran and Hezbollah and Hamas. Their goal, open goal, is to eradicate the state of Israel. The open goal of Hamas is to kill as many Jews as they could, and the only difference is they would have killed every last one of us, murdered every last one of us, if they could. They just don't have the capacity, but they murdered an extraordinary 1,300 civilians, which in American terms is like many, many, many 9-11s. 
That's Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Tarek Bakoni, you wrote the book Hamas Contained. Can you respond? Well, I mean, this language that the Israelis and the American officials have been using to demonize Hamas has been entirely based in the effort to depoliticize the Palestinian struggle and to present any form of armed resistance against what is a violent apartheid regime as a form of terrorism. The impact of this is really to try to give Israel a carte blanche uh, to continue dealing with the question of Palestine, with the quest by the Palestinian people to gain their inalienable rights uh, through force and through a security doctrine. Uh, the President Biden's uh, linking of the attack that happened on 7th October to 9-11 is really a carte blanche for Israel to do what it wants to in the Gaza Strip. And it's an affirmation that uh, all the lessons that have been learned after Israel's, after the, um, America's own 9-11 uh, have really been lost. Now, this, isn't, this language isn't new. Successive Israeli governments have linked Palestinian resistance generally and Hamas specifically to 9-11 and to terrorism uh, and has, has used that link in order to reinforce and re-entrench its occupation. What we have to understand here is that this isn't uh, an effort to try to uh, quell uh, uh, to destroy Hamas specifically. This is an effort to pursue an ethnic cleansing campaign in the Gaza Strip and beyond the Gaza Strip as we see the violence rising in the West Bank. The effort to link Hamas to Hamas's attack to 9-11 is really to give cover to pursue genocidal tendencies that the Israeli political establishment has articulated long before October 7th. So the Israeli military, also Biden, very much bonded, um, uh, sort of bound to this analysis as well, uh, talks about uh, the Hamas attack on October 7th, uh, killing over 1,300 Israelis, over 200 are being held by Hamas. Um, looks like the majority of them, according to the Israeli government, are still alive. The Israeli government says Hamas uses civilians um, as uh, human shields. And in this um, comment uh, of the Israeli military saying they've given a green light to move, they've, uh, to move into Gaza whenever it's ready, the economy minister near Barakat um, said in an interview with ABC News, concerns over hostages and civilian casualties will be secondary to destroying Hamas. Were you surprised by the October 7th attack? And talk about um, what Israel is saying right now and, of course, what's happening in Gaza. Well, the 7th of October attack was certainly surprising uh, for someone like myself, who's been studying Hamas for a long time, but I imagine also for many Palestinians in uh, in the Gaza Strip, as well as probably for Hamas's leadership. It was surprising, not in its timing, obviously, and not in uh, the, the, the offensive, the nature of the offensive and how it took place, but it was surprising mostly in the scale of it and the ability of Hamas to really penetrate into uh, Israeli-controlled territory around the Gaza Strip and to spend the length of time that uh, fighters, uh, Hamas and otherwise, were able to spend in Israeli towns. Uh, you have to understand that for many Palestinians and more broadly, there's a, there's a myth of a, a, an Israeli invincibility, uh, that Israel is impenetrable, at least from the Gaza Strip, and that its army is unparalleled. And uh, that uh, expectation was probably uh, in the minds of Hamas's leadership when they were planning and staging this attack. 
And instead of any form of effective defense on the Israeli side, uh, what we saw was a complete shattering of this illusion. Uh, we, sh we saw the reality that actually Israel's army is not invincible uh, and that the blockade that is placed around the Gaza Strip is perfectly penetrable uh, and that Hamas was able to uh, overturn uh, Israel's uh, myth of invincibility very, very quickly. Now, the scale of the attack and the number of hostages that uh, Hamas was able to uh, capture and take back into uh, the Gaza Strip probably exceeded its expectations, uh, which also meant that the retaliation that we now see uh, is is also probably far worse than Hamas might have anticipated. Now, that's not to say that Hamas didn't anticipate uh, some form of retaliation, because uh, that has always been, at least in the past 16 years, the equilibrium between Hamas and Israel, that Hamas would try to pressure Israel uh, through rockets or otherwise to lift or ease restrictions on the blockade being because the blockade itself is a form of violence that's strangulating two million Palestinians in Gaza. And Israel would respond with disproportionate military force, military force that would result in the deaths of thousands of Palestinians in the Gaza Strip. Now, the expectation has always been uh, from the Israeli side that this situation is tenable that it can be sustained and the, the, and it uh, adopted what it called uh, uh, the military doctrine of, of mowing the lawn, that it would do this every few years, and then the, that this equilibrium would be sustained indefinitely. What we saw on the 7th of October was Hamas uh, turn, overturning that equilibrium and saying, actually, you cannot have any, any kind of calm or security for your citizens as long as your boot remains on our necks. The Palestinians will not acquiesce to their imprisonment silently. So that equilibrium has now shattered. I wanted to ask you if you could talk about um, Israel's involvement in Hamas gaining power. In 2009, Avner Cohen, a former Israeli religious affairs official who worked in Gaza for over 20 years, told The Wall Street Journal, quote, Hamas, to my great regret, is Israel's creation. Another former Israeli official, Brigadier General Yitzhak Segev, said he was given a budget to help finance Islamist movements in Gaza to counter Yasser Arafat and his Fatah movement. Another former Israeli military official, David Chacham, said, quote, when I look back at the chain of events, I think we made a mistake. But at the time, nobody thought about the possible results. Your response, Tarek Balkoni. Well, the origins of that is really Hamas. Hamas emerged as an offshoot of the Muslim Brotherhood chapter in the Gaza Strip. And the Muslim Brotherhood chapter was not a political party. It was a social party. And its operations in the Gaza Strip and throughout the Palestinian territories were actually granted licenses by Israeli occupying forces at the time. So there was a license for the uh, Muslim Brotherhood chapter to operate openly in the Gaza Strip. When Hamas was established in 1987 and became a political party and a military party that was engaged in active resistance against Israel's occupation, that the policies uh, within the Israeli government shifted. And obviously, it became less open to allowing Hamas to function. However, that did not uh, deter Israeli authorities from 
encouraging uh, and promoting divide and rule tactics between the Islamist nationalist movement, so Hamas, and secular nationalism around Fatah. And this has always been uh, a tactic that the colonial forces have used globally, and obviously Israeli colonialism is no different. So it has uh, directly and implicitly attempted divide and rule policies. This really turned and came to a head in 2007 when Hamas, after winning uh, democratic elections in 2006, rose to power and uh, the Israeli authorities, along with the U.S., attempted to initiate a regime change operation, which facilitated a civil war between Hamas and Fatah and allowed Hamas to take over the Gaza Strip. Since then, Israeli authorities have actively embraced the idea that Hamas would be accepted as a governing authority in the Gaza Strip. Now, part of the calculus in that is because of Gaza's 2 million Palestinians. This is a demographic issue. Israel wanted to sever the, the Gaza Strip from the rest of historic Palestine in order to reinforce its claim that it's a Jewish majority state. By getting rid of 2 million Palestinians, two-thirds of whom are refugees demanding return, Israel can claim to be both a Jewish state and a democracy and, and re restructure uh, what is uh, its apartheid regime. Uh, now, in order to do that, it acquiesced to maintaining Hamas in governance, uh, and it claimed that it placed a blockade around the Gaza Strip because Hamas was in power. Uh, and obviously, this was bought uh, in the international community using what we were just talking about, the, 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 the idea that Hamas is, is a terrorist organization, axis of even, uh, of evil, and, and therefore that this blockade makes sense. What policymakers don't understand is that Israel has engaged in blockades around the Gaza Strip and attempted to get rid of the population in the Gaza Strip long before Hamas was even established as a party. But with Hamas's takeover of the Gaza Strip, this created a perfect fig leaf for Israel to maintain the Gaza Strip as a separate strip of land. And to do that, it had to acquiesce and in some ways even uh, enable Hamas to uh, maintain its position as a governing authority there. And this also further reinforced its uh, efforts to try to uh, maintain division among the Palestinian leadership and, and play divide and rule policies between the PA and Hamas. What would you like to see happen, Tarek, right now? It looks like the Israel is on the verge of a ground invasion of Gaza. Um, what do you think needs to happen? Well, the most immediate need right now is for a de-escalation. World leaders, and specifically the U.S. and the Biden administration, need to understand that this is not uh, a retaliation by Israel towards Hamas. What we are seeing now is the effort by Israel to pursue an ethnic cleansing campaign and to continue the Nakba, which began in 1948 and which has been ongoing since in uh, fits and starts here and there. What we're seeing is a massive rupture uh, in the daily uh, ethnic cleansing that Israeli authorities are going, uh, are going, uh, are implementing uh, uh, against the Palestinians um, in the West Bank and in East Jerusalem, as well as in the Gaza Strip. Uh, and now we're seeing that 
that rupture, uh, take the, 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 the ethnic cleansing campaign from a daily, a continual basis into a, a, a significantly uh, more uh, focused uh, attempt at getting rid of millions of Palestinians. We need to de-escalate and we need to ensure that humanitarian aid comes into the Gaza Strip because this is impacting Gaza's civilian population. Uh, this is a starting step. The next step needs to be an acknowledgement that Israel is an apartheid regime that is maintaining a system of domination against millions of Palestinians. It's the only sovereign power in the land of historic Palestine, and it allows rights only to Israeli Jewish citizens, not to Palestinians. What happened on October 7th is a testament to the fact that that reality cannot go on. And that overturns the assumption that the U.S. administration, as well as regional powers have always had, which is that Israel can continue to act with impunity without any cost to its citizens. And I, I believe we cannot go back to that paradigm anymore. Tarek Bakoni, I want to thank you very much for being with us, Palestinian analyst and writer, president of the board of al-Shabaka, the Palestinian Policy Network, author of the book Hamas Contained, The Rise and Pacification of Palestinian Resistance. We will link to your piece in the New York Review, headline Gaza without pretenses. For years, Israel and Hamas maintained an unstable equilibrium that kept the Gaza Strip contained, but it was always likely to be temporary. When we come back, we continue our conversation with the legendary Israeli journalist Amira Haas, who's reported from the occupied territories for over three decades. Back in 20 seconds. Palestine is the soul by Mohammed Assad. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. I'm Amy Goodman. We spend the rest of the hour with legendary Israeli journalist Amira Haas, who's reported from the occupied West Bank and Gaza for over 30 years. She's the Haaretz correspondent for the occupied Palestinian territories, usually based in Ramallah. Her latest piece is headlined, With No Water or Electricity from Israel, Gazans Risk Dehydration and Disease. Today, we bring you part two of our conversation. On Thursday, Democracy Now!'s Nermeen Sheikh and I spoke to her after she attended Wednesday's historic protest in Washington, D.C., led by American Jewish groups calling for an immediate ceasefire. We asked her to describe the scene. Look, it was people, it was a, uh, an expression of, of common grief and uh, shock uh, of people, of Jews who, whose main Two slogans were not in our name and ceasefire immediately. Uh, and for me, it was very important uh, to be there. So I was there in my, as a person, as an individual, as, as a Jew, not as a, not, as a, not as a journalist. There were quite a few Israelis that I know that live or, 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 stu or study these days in, in the States. Um, and it was also, you know, like we, we all need some kind of this kind of support which, by the way, uh, Palestinians are not allowed to hold. Jews are allowed to hold me, uh, uh, demonstrations. I understand that all over Europe there are places where Palestinians are not allowed to hold demonstrations uh, uh, in solidarity with their slain people in, in, in Palestine. Uh, 
so here again, we are privileged, the Jews, uh, that we can do things that Palestinians uh, are not allowed to. Though I know that here there were some in the in the states, there were some demonstrations of Palestinians. Uh, but Palestinians are being silenced, as I hear. They are sensitivity that they are. Their sense of grief is not being respected. They are called as te- supporters of terror, whatever. And in my, I was in Boston just before, and I could tell that even the word Palestinian is not allowed to be used in all kind of official statements. Uh, I can very much identify with with the feeling of being ostracized by the whole world as a Jew, uh, of being not listened to, or or or. This feeling, this this indifference that the world shows to Palestinians, Palestinians' plight, Palestinians' ordeal, is is so shocking. And I, as a Jew, I say, and my, as a child of of survivors and 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 the, the grandchild of Jews who were murdered by Nazi Germany, uh, I can uh, my my identification and and sense of identification and anger. And and uh, despair, I must say, despair uh, grow grow uh, are, are grow larger by the day, by the minute. Well, Amira, you wrote in in one of your recent Haaretz uh, pieces precisely from the position of someone who is the uh, uh, the daughter, the the child of Holocaust survivors. In a piece headlined Germany, you have long since betrayed your responsibility. Uh, in the piece, you write about your father, uh, who would tell you as far back yeah. as 1992, he himself a Holocaust survivor. When you returned from Gaza, he would say, "Quote: True, this isn't a genocide." like what we went through. But for us, it ended after five or six years. For the Palestinians, the suffering has gone on and on for decades. So if you could, yeah. uh, you know, say a little bit more about your father's position and the fact that this isn't also, in a sense, understandably, the position of most people uh, who are survivors, or the, the children of survivors of yeah. uh, uh, the Holocaust. If, yeah. you could, if you could explain a little Look, I mean, uh, um, in '92, yes, it was. We could say that it is not genocide. I'm, I'm. Uh, I want to say. I mean, I don't. As I explain over and over again, I prefer not to talk now, not to dwell into definitions, but to uh, describe the situation. Uh, of course, in '92, in comparison to today, it was like a benign occupation. In comparison to today, uh, to what's going on now. Um, look, I, I know I come from a leftist family, so it's, it's, it has been uh, uh, clear that if there is a lesson to, to, to the uh, Nazi, Nazi German uh, industry of murder, which I think is more accurate to say than the Holo- than Holocaust, uh, if there is a lesson that it shouldn't shouldn't be the fate of any people in the world, not just the Jews. And uh, another lesson that my father taught me, he, he warned about wars. He warned about uh, 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 that in, during wars, things, can, things always get worse and worse and without control. And that's why exactly why the Israeli right wing and the messianic religious settler right wing has been always 
uh, pushing for wars and regional wars because in order to achieve the, the grand plan of, of uh, uh, repeating and completing 1948, the Nakba. I, I mean, I say again, I say these things and I don't believe that we are in this stage and we are and we are and we are and the world is silent and or, or idle and it's it's um, it was idle during uh, during uh, in so many phases in, in, in human history. It was idle. I, I want to say something else. In, at the beginning of 2000s, during the Second Intifada, I was contacted by Howard Zinn, the great historian Howard Zinn, who very much in the vein of if in the vein of my father's warning about wars, he told me that he he thinks of an initiative uh, of people. To, to start talking about war, to outlaw wars at all, you know, not, to, not just to, to say that these are certain crimes in a war. The, war. the war is a crime. That's why I also don't use the term war crime, because the war is a crime. Because wars unleash such bar- barbarism out of human beings, all human beings, that, that the, then the, 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 our ability to return to decent normalcy is so limited. Uh, this, is, this is the background. This is my background, my parents' background. Uh, um, and we've tried, they tried, and I tried, and as both as an activist and as a journalist, to uh, appeal to people and to the, you know, humanity of people and, and, and rationality of people. And... Uh, uh, because this will harm what's happening today. The Palestinians are the targets for sure, but eventually this this can ha- this will harm anybody in the region and will harm Israeli Jews and as it does uh, Palestinians in Israel. We'll I'm still st- talking and I'm still hoping that it will stop immediately. You um, came on Democracy Now! in February, and at that time, you wrote to us afterwards saying, the danger of mass expulsion of Palestinians is nearer than ever since the Nakba. One cannot repeat enough times this message in order for it to remain a warning and not a prophecy. Can you explain exactly what you mean? Of course, it's now October. Um, At this point, something like 3,800 Palestinians are dead, but the hundreds of thousands that have been displaced, and then the Israeli army telling uh, the Palestinian population in Gaza that half of them must leave the northern part, the most populated part of the most densely populated place on earth, and move south. Look, it's—I must say that I—at that time when I wrote in February, I thought more about the West Bank. But we see that they are working now in these two fronts that are inseparable because it's the Palestinian people and both under Israeli occupation, even though the West Bank, the Gaza Strip is in a different uh, uh, constellation. Uh, But just as Dr. Mustafa said, they want to pressure Egypt to open and to allow and to let Palestinians go, because otherwise people will say, oh, it's not. It's also the fault of Egypt. Why don't they let all the people flee to Egypt? There are calls in Israel to to build uh, uh, to let Palestinians build there in Sinai to build a, a a new town and things like that. 
But in the West Bank also, the danger of mass expulsion, and that's why, again, I repeat what, what Dr. Mustafa said, that uh, that's why the King Abdallah is so alarmed, because he senses that, that if, if Palestinians are, are uh, uh, being pushed, 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 they will be pushed towards Jordan. Uh, there is a longer, longer standing Israeli uh, claim that the real Palestine is Jordan because the majority of people in Jordan are Palestinians. So the danger now exists, and again, I repeat, at wars, the, 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 right, the right wing wants wars in order exactly to accomplish these plans that are kind of, of subdued during normal times. And our normalcy is never normal. Well, Amira, I want to, in fact, uh, uh, quote to you again from another piece that you wrote just days after the uh, uh, Hamas assault in uh, uh, Israel. Uh, you wrote a piece uh, headlined, Arriving Again at the Cycle of Vengeance. Uh, in this you write, as in every Israeli war against the Gaza Strip that Hamas has an interest in, especially given the murder of civilians, one should ask, does this organization have a realistic plan of action and a realistic political goal, or did it mainly want to rehabilitate its own position in the eyes of Gaza residents? Was its military operation accompanied this time by a logistical plan to assist and rescue Gazan civilians under attack? So if you could respond to some of those rhetorical questions that you asked, and yeah. what is going on with the hostages? I mean, now Israel has said they've increased the number. There are 203 hostages, Israeli hostages uh, who are being held in Gaza. What is their position and what do we know of what the Israeli state is doing to negotiate or force their release? Yeah. Presumably they're also being affected by this constant bombardment. Exactly. I have no idea how many people, how many of the hostages, some of them I, 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 uh, uh, I know they are relatives. I know one of them who is uh, 85 years old and a, a very brave uh, journalist who in uh, Oded Lifshitz's name, I, I just realized it, he's 85, he, he was, uh, in the 70s, he exposed the Israeli, the expulsion of Bedouins in the northern of Sinai. Uh, he exposed it in a, a series of articles. I know some people that are relatives of, as I, as I said, of friends of mine, and we don't know what's happening, you know, like we don't, I mean, if they are under, they are, in the same conditions like every Palestinian now in Gaza. If they are alive, they are without water and electricity. If they are wounded, there is no way to, 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 to really treat them. Uh, they are separated. If they are separated, how they are held by, some are held by Islamic Jihad, some are, are held by Hamas. Where do they hold them? Did they flee from the south to the, to, from the north to the south? We don't have answers to all these questions. And I don't know how many answers the Israeli army has. Uh, you know, at this time while we are talking, Israel is also arresting and has arrested and arresting more Palestinian workers from Gaza who were in Israel during uh, uh, just when, uh, when everything started. At first they were allowed to go into, uh, into Palestinian cities in, in the West Bank, but now they are arresting them. They, uh, uh, and I allow myself to suspect that they also when, want to play with this card when they are negotiating about the release of, Palesti of the Israeli uh, 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 prisoners or, or uh, yeah, the people who were abducted. Look, Hamas proved to be very uh, 
resourceful when it comes to the military operation. Uh, they knew how to neutralize Israeli surveillance facilities, how to neutralize the shooting, automatic shooting. Uh, they knew where the military bases were, etc. So they were very resourceful in a way that I could have said impressive, if not that for the atrocities that were committed later. And the atrocities were committed. And I, 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 I know that it's not the time to tell Palestinians to, to pay attention to this because... Israel's revenge is 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 a uh, hundred times uh, 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 more bloodier, uh, but still there were atrocities. So I feel there is a tremendous contradiction between the uh, uh, planning of the of the uh, um, immediate military uh, operation and what comes aftermath. What is the aftermath? Because, for example, the civilian. Now, the civilian uh, uh, phase in, in, in the West, in Gaza, if they knew that they have such an operation and they knew that Israel will retaliate uh, 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 ferociously, then why, for example, they did not even, I don't know, uh, take care that people have water? I don't know. I mean, if, if they can arrange to have so many weapons, they must have also prepared for, for, for assisting the civilian population, their civilian population. But I see that this, from what I can tell from, from far, uh, I, don't think, I don't see that this has happened. I don't think that Hamas can be erased. It can flourish outside of Gaza. Uh, but I don't understand its, 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 um, its political plan right now. Uh, do they want to liberate all of Palestine, so it doesn't matter if it will take 50 years, 80 years, and uh, at the cost of lives of Palestinians and Israelis, that I don't know who will return to the country, who will, will, who will live in this destroyed country if this is the plan. If the plan is political, immediate political, is it worse to, 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 to ask, demand the release of present Palestinian prisoners in Israeli prisons, and the cost is so much. I think I know some prisoners in jail now. I don't think they'll be happy to be released thanks to the death of uh, uh, thousands or tens of thousands of Palestinians. So right now I, I see very uh, um, a, a militarily a very apt organization that indeed gave Israel a very... Uh, a distinctive, a, a distinctive um, uh, blow, but I don't see that there is a, a political viable position uh, that comes with it. That's me now. I don't know. I mean, we are waiting because just war, just war, just bloodshed. Where will it lead us to? Where, where will it lead the Palestinians to? Now it's very difficult to, for people to criticize Hamas. Um, there is a lot of support. But, but is it a political... Does it have a political, logical, human uh, uh, perspective? I don't see it.
And the response to um, the repeated assertions on television, I want to ask you also, because it's how Americans understand what's happening, is through the corporate media. I mean, their younger population doesn't watch television, older population does. If you watch CNN, uh, starting, for example, yesterday, but this was a repetition before, it's one Israeli Defense Force representative after another. Um, you even have Naftali Bennett, right, who's a former prime minister who is now um, uh, uh, one of the army, um, saying, are you to Sky News, you seriously asking me about Palestinian civilians? Um, but starting yesterday, after the bombing of the hospital, um, however that turns out, um, whoever's responsible for that, throughout the day, through today, the lower third of CNN was U.S. sources, U.S. officials say Israel is not responsible. Um, that goes larger than the hospital. The, throughout yeah, yeah, the day, course. the discussion that it seems Netanyahu is quite victorious in this, um, whether it's a lie or whether it's true, a bigger point, Israel is not responsible. And so I wanted to ask you about that. This is at a time when over 3,500 Palestinians, of course, have been killed, dozens of other health facilities, actually, including that one, attacked just a few days before that IDF did not say they didn't do, um, what this kind of coverage means, because, you know, Chomsky says the media is manufacturing consent for war in general. Um, but it matters because the U.S. is the most powerful country on earth and the main weapons supplier to Israel. Yeah. Look, the, the, what, what does it mean Israel is not responsible? Israel has engineered this since, uh, uh, you know, since the early 90s, when the world pushed Israel and the Palestinians, and the Palestinians wanted this, to have a kind of a compromise. Um, and this is following the Palestinian First Intifada, that has a very clear political message. We want to, 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 we don't want our children, I, I heard so many activists say that, we don't want our children to live in the way we lived under occupation. So let's compromise and have a state, a Palestinian state, alongside Israel. And this was an accepted, an accepted rea a, 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 a way out from the, from, the, from, the, from the bloodshed and the uh, crisis and the conflict. And the world supported it, or seemed, and Israel did everything possible to foil the possibility of establishing a Palestinian state uh, alongside Israel. So it only increased and enhanced its colonialist uh, uh, drive during, since, since the beginning of, of Oslo. And Israel disconnected Gaza and uh, uh, um, put it treated it as an, a separate enclave with no connections to, to the people of the West Bank and the rest of Palestine and Israel. Not, not since Hamas came to power, long before, in the early 90s. So what is not responsibility? No, no, not Israel's responsibility. It is Israeli policy that has created such a chain of reactions that 
we could tell it, we could say, we said it over and over again to Israelis, to diplomats, to foreign diplomats, to foreign countries. We warned over and over again. We knew and we wanted to prevent it from happening. So how can they say Israel is not responsible? And you know what? Every Palestinian who is killed today in Gaza is registered in the Israeli-controlled population registry. Palestinians are not registered in a separate one. It's Israel which controls. If a person is not registered, it, it, he is there. if a newborn is not registered in the Israeli uh, registry of population, then the, the newborn does not exist. Israel controls still today. Palestinian Authority is obliged to give every name of a newborn and every change of address to Israel for, for, for uh, 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 valid, validation of, of, of this change. So what is not responsible? It's, it's part of Israel. I mean, Israel controls the whole country, controls the people, decides how much water they have, what is the uh, economy they are allowed to have. We, if they don't go to, 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 to universities in the West Bank, Israel decides. Israel decides about every detail of these people. So what's happening now is not Israel's responsibility. This is exactly, this is how the, 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 the majority do of, of mainstream, mainstream media don't want to, to, to deal with it. They start to deal with, this, with, with, with uh, conflict and the cruelty only when it reaches this, this unbearable uh, uh, um, cl- uh, top. But the, 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 there is incremental cruelty and violence be, and, and evil and, and bureaucratic evil, bureaucratic violence that has been uh, there for years, accumulating one layer, one layer after la- uh, another, uh, and it chokes everybody, every Palestinian. You know, Palestinians in, in, in Gaza, people who are under 30 years old, have never seen a mountain in their lives. A mountain. They don't understand the concept of a, a spring uh, uh, of water coming out of a, of a rock of a mountain. I know it because a friend of a young friend of mine, she's uh, 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 she she had the uh, chance to come to the West Bank because she has cancer. So her friends tell her, "You are so lucky because you have cancer, so you could leave the Gaza Strip." Her brothers don't are surprised when she tells them about the mountains that she she saw in the West Bank. So you you um, you take from the people for so many for so many years. You take, you take every, every uh, 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 hope and every, every uh, horizon, every, every joy you take out of them. And still I want to say, and I'm, again I want to say that, that the more I hear about this Saturday, and I think that many details are, I mean, I, I verified about many details and, and the atrocities were there, but it taught me that... People came, not all, not, not the majority, a few, but it only tells me how the pressure that has built up, how monstrous it was to create these monstrous attacks on one, in one day. Amira Haas, longtime Israeli correspondent for Haaretz in the occupied Palestinian territories, usually based in Ramallah. She's author of Drinking the Sea at Gaza, reporting from Ramallah, and wrote the forward and afterward to her mother, Hannah Levy Haas's Holocaust memoir, Diary of Bergen-Belsen. To see part one of our interview with Amira and also our interview yesterday with Dr. Mustafa Barghouti, visit democracynow.org. 
I'm speaking tonight in Charleston, West Virginia, at the Grassroots Radio Conference, 7.30 p.m. at the Capitol Theater. Visit democracynow.org for details. Oh, and happy birthday to Robbie Karen. I'm Amy Goodman. Thanks so much for joining us.